Pentecost. Pentecost is not the time when the Holy Spirit came to earth. You know Holy Spirit was always there. You know Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. I say Holy Spirit. I don't say the Holy Spirit. Because Holy Spirit means a person. The Melanie is back there. That doesn't sound too cool. No, that's my Melanie. That's Melanie. Holy Spirit is Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's always been around. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. The word is Elohim. It's a plural word. Why would God be a plural word? Because God is three people together. That great mystery that we really don't totally understand. And that's okay. So we have Holy Spirit at the beginning brooding over the waters. Bringing the life of the Trinity onto earth. Then we go to the end of the book, Revelation 22, 17. Holy Spirit speaks. Holy Spirit's at the beginning and everything in between. And this is just a story of in time. Holy Spirit's eternal. He's not bound up by time. So let's understand right away, Holy Spirit has always been. Pentecost is not the time of the birth of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to review something with you that I've talked about lately. I've been talking about the symbols we use for the gospel message. Now we want to make sure we never worship symbols. We never worship icons. We use symbols, but they're there just to help us. This started way back at Easter time, Good Friday, with the symbol of the cross. The cross symbol is outside of our sanctuary this morning for a reason. Because I didn't want to show the symbol of death in a place of life. But I want to make sure we know we got to go through a death to get to the life. So it's there. You see, Jesus died on the cross not so that you would not have to. He died on the cross so that you could. We die with him on the cross. Oh, that's part of the gospel message. We can't have Christian faith without that. But we're not going to stop there, are we? Because if we stop there, where's the life? We've got to move beyond the cross. So we come into the sanctuary, and I'll I'll apologize right now. (laughs) This is supposed to be the stone that was in front of the... The tomb, okay? This is the stone that's rolled away. Now, it should be a hundred times bigger than this. But I couldn't get any help getting that stone in this morning. So I just decided to bring this one. So we come in the sanctuary. The stone is rolled away. The empty tomb is a symbol. It's the symbol that Jesus rose. Why? So that you could... He's just the first fruits of resurrection, isn't he? We rise with him. So we have that symbol. But oh, I'm glad we don't have to stop there. Because if we stop there, we never get to be the royalty of the kingdom that God has for us to be. After the resurrection, 40 days later, Jesus 
ascended to the right hand of the Father. He sat down next to his Father in a place of royalty. Why did he do that? Oh, he wanted to be the big cheese. No. So that you could sit with him and be seated with him as royalty in the kingdom of God. Hello. Can I just hear an amen? We're seated with him in the heavenly places. But people, that isn't enough. We can't live the Christian life just seated on a throne. Something else has to happen, even after the cross, even after the tomb, even after the throne. What is it? The Holy Spirit has to do something special. So we have this symbol. It's the best I could do, sorry. Holy Spirit is doing something different. You know, the prophets in the Old Testament wish they were you. They could only see glimpses of things. They didn't even know what they were talking about. They just talked for God about things that were going to happen thousands of years ahead, hundreds of years ahead. The angels wish they knew what we knew. And we look in the Old Testament and we see that this Holy Spirit baptismal experience of the New Covenant was prophesied by people in the Old Testament. Take Ezekiel chapter 37, the dry bones. God told Ezekiel to speak to the dry dead bones. So Ezekiel did. And when he did, the bones came together with muscles and sinew. But they were still dead. Then God said, speak this to the bones. I, God, am going to send a breath to give them life. And he called the breath from the four winds and the breath came and gave life to those bones. i got to read part of this. God is speaking to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 37.11 Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, we have become old dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore prophesy to them. This is what the Lord says. O my people, I will open your graves of exile, cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you. This never happened in the Old Covenant. God put His Spirit on people for occasions, usually the leaders. But He didn't put His Spirit in people and fill them. And yet here's Ezekiel talking about what's coming in the future. What you and I take for granted. And then Joel, of course, the, the Joel scripture, Joel chapter 2, the Lord was promising His nation would be restored again. Joel 2.28 I will pour out my spirit upon all people your sons and daughters will prophesy I will pour out an abundance of spirit never seen before on all people there is no class there is no gender issues there is no age issues 
there's no economic issues. I'm going to pour it out on all people. I'm not going to disregard anybody. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. They are going to give God's viewpoint. Wow! We're not just talking about a few prophets in the Old Testament now. Every single person of God is going to speak from God's viewpoint. Period. We're not going to put a comma and put but or except. This is what God says. Yeah, we got things to work out there, but that's a whole other issue. The prophets foretold of this coming of the Spirit. Then we get to Jesus. You remember him? Jesus gets resurrected on Easter morning. Now on Easter night, his disciples are together in one place. Jesus shows up. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed. This wasn't a symbol. He breathed. The Spirit came out of him. The Holy Spirit of God came out of him. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. This is not Pentecost now. This is before Pentecost. This is 50 days before. And yet here we see the disciples receiving the Holy Spirit. The way I look at it, they got born again. They have the Spirit of God inside of them now. The Spirit of God brought life to them. This was for their personal life. But even that wasn't enough. Because Jesus said, hold on, not done yet. Get to the book of Acts. I'm not done yet. Now we know that these people had the Spirit of God in them because they immediately formed community. A Holy Spirit-led community. You look at what happened in the ten days between the Ascension and Pentecost. You see how they came together, how they shared things, how they lived together. They, their hearts were in tune, in one accord. This is Holy Spirit community. So we know the Holy Spirit was moving. But they needed something else. There's something beyond that. Because now we get to Acts. They finally wrote the book of Acts and straightened this out for us. Jesus says, Acts 1-4, don't leave Jerusalem. He's saying, chill. Wait. Just, I got it covered. Just relax. Until the Father sends you the gift He promised. What's the gift? Well, I told you before, John baptized with water, but just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This seems clear to me, at least, is a separate circumstance from when they got filled. From when they got the Spirit within them by Jesus. Now we've got a second circumstance. Let me show it to you this way. I don't know if this will help you, but it will help me. This is you, Christian. I want to demonstrate using some water in this cup. Now the problem is, I'm going to spill this all over the place. And I don't want to do that in the sanctuary. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to use this bigger pitcher. You have to pretend that the big pitcher isn't there. 
it's only there so I don't spill it all over the rug. So I'll just put you, Christian, right in, in there for a minute. Holy Spirit. Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. And every one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the same shape as the glass. The Spirit is the same shape as the person. And that's good because we need to have the Spirit inside of us. We have to have the Spirit inside of us to connect with God. Right? Have to. But now we come to the further experience on Pentecost. What they call the filling of the Spirit. The Greek word for filling doesn't mean a one-time shot. It's be filled and filled and filled and filled and filled and filled and refilled and refilled and refilled and refilled. It's a stream. Rivers of life never ends. So this might be what we could conceptualize happened when Jesus said receive the Holy Spirit. Now, on Pentecost, what happened? Holy Spirit shows up in a new way and keeps filling. Filling to overflowing. And filling. And filling. And filling to over... Oops, I better... I'm supposed to go on. I'm supposed to keep going, right? I can't do that. Now, you're so cool. Can you see the glass? Not hardly. What do you see? The Spirit. Look, Christian. You look like God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit makes you overflow with the Spirit of God to such an extent you hardly even get seen. Why do we need to keep getting refilled? Here's what I heard one guy say it. Because I leak. We better leak the Holy Spirit. We better need to be refilled. So here we have this Holy Spirit coming in a new way on Pentecost. A way that had never been seen before and yet had been talked about for hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean, does that help you see something? That helps me. Then after they are filled and refilled, continually filled. No, people don't understand what's going on. People who are in Jerusalem. So Peter gets up and explains. The first sermon, 3,000 people got saved. What's the difference? Ta-da! He just got up and started talking from his heart. And his friends were there with him to lend a credence and accountability. What does Peter talk about? First thing he talks about. Peter preaches to the crowd, Acts 2, 14. Listen, all of you. Make no mistake about these people aren't drunk. No, 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 no. No. What you see is what was predicted by the prophet Joel in chapter 2, verse 28. And it goes on to explain exactly what I wrote. What's in Joel. So Peter has to explain about this further experience, this 
Pentecostal experience, if you will. Because here we have simple men who have now been touched by the Holy Spirit in a new way, speaking so that everybody in the world can understand the gospel message. Come on! Isn't that exciting? That's the only way it can happen. The gospel message can only be preached by spirit-filled believers speaking from the heart of God. That's not my plan. God made that plan. Why did he do it that way? Because he loves you. He wants to include you in every single part of his life. Especially the most important part. That's all the people that he wants to come to know him. We get to share in it. Way back, the Tower of Babel. God had to jumble up all the languages because the people's heart wasn't in the right place. Now their heart's in the right place. Now he can bring it all back together again and bring it into one language and one message. I'm not saying one earthly language. I'm saying one gospel language. Message. This is what Pentecost is all about. You know, I didn't even mention speaking in tongues yet. Gee, maybe I'm missing the boat here. Now, I got saved into a Pentecostal church, all right? When I got saved, I wanted everything. Give it to me all now. I'm not taking piecemeal. I'm going to get baptized. I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I want to speak in tongues. Bring it on me. A friend of mine was leading a home Bible study group. I called him up one night. I said, I want to speak in tongues. He said, well, you know, we'll pray for you. I said, well, good. It was 11 o'clock at night. He said, how about right now? Come on over to my house. So I drove over to his house. They took me up in this room, he and his wife. Those poor people, they prayed over me for about two hours. Laying hands on my neck and loosening my tongue. They were sweating like pigs. And I was, I was trying to help him out. But, but I just couldn't speak in tongues. So finally we gave up. A couple months later, I had played on a football team for a long time. And I, I had gotten saved, so I stopped playing on the football team, which played on a Sunday morning, by the way. Tells you what kind of league it was. I really believe God wanted me just to go to see those guys. and I wanted to see them play. And so I went to the early service. I went up for the anointing service at the end and I just stood there and said, God, I'm afraid to see these guys. They know the different me. They don't know the new me. But I need your anointing on me to go to this game. So I just stood there and said, Lord, help me, help me, help me, help me. Boom. I got a prayer language just like that. I wasn't even asking for it. I went to that game, by the way, a lot of guys didn't even recognize who I was. My countenance had totally changed. I went from a burnt-out jock to a godly man standing there on the sidelines. But you see, I wasn't seeking to speak in tongues. It just... I needed it at that moment, people! And God knew it. I believe that speaking in tongues is part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I believe you don't have to if you don't want to. It's under the control of the person. You never want to speak in tongues? Never have to. We just went to the prayer breakfast. 
this uh, Christian chiropractor, medical guy, was up there. He said, he's talking about relieving stress. He said, they've done a study. They found out speaking in tongues relieves stress. Medically proven. Ooh. That'll charge you up a little bit. Doesn't mean I'm going around at the post office asking for a roll of stamps and tongues. You know, just... <laughs> There's a little statement there in your note that says, another name for the book, the Acts of the Apostles, might very well be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I'm getting settled in me that it's okay that it's the Acts of the Apostles. What we do is we relegate ourselves to the background. Oh God, He wouldn't use me for that. Or even if He's using me, it's not really me, it's just the Holy Spirit in me. But that sounds humble. I don't believe it. I'm looking at Acts chapter 3. It says right here, Peter heals a crippled beggar. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit heals a crippled beggar. It says Peter does. Why would they want to elevate a person? Because Peter doesn't want to be elevated. How do I want to say this? When a person's heart is in the right place, they do works for God. They will never bring attention to themselves. They will give glory to God and to the Holy Spirit. And that's the heart that Jesus wants. And when that heart is available, you can say that that person did a work of God. Because that person will not receive it unto themselves. They will deflect the praise to God immediately. So when I, in my humility, say, oh, that's not me, that's the Holy Spirit. I probably have the wrong attitude that I'm afraid that God isn't using me. Or I'm afraid that my spirit is bigger than God's spirit and is going to overshadow his spirit. Hello, Tim. When my heart is in the right place, that is never going to happen. And Lord, I pray that my heart is always in the right place. And he's going to hear that cry of my heart. And he's going to help me be humble. I'm not going to say he's going to keep me humble because he doesn't have to keep me humble. I want to be humble. If he has to keep me humble, that has nothing to do with humility. Okay? (laughs) So don't pray, keep me humble. Pray, Lord, I want your heart. I want your heart to be my heart. I want our hearts to be so in tune that there's not a breath of air, a piece of paper in between. Then I can be used of God. And I don't have to worry about humility. The Holy Spirit. There's five things there the Holy Spirit does. Indwells, of course. Jesus said, receive. The Holy Spirit has to live inside of us. Fills and refills. Just like the example. Guides. Oh, help us, Lord, if we think we can guide ourselves along the path of righteousness. He empowers. The Holy Spirit empowerment. If we don't have the Holy Spirit, we don't have any power. None. Teaches. Now, why? Why this further experience with the Holy Spirit we call Pentecost? 
Why? Let me just read you something from First Thessalonians, first chapter, starting at two, verse 4. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. Skip down. Six. You received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit, in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In that way, you imitated both us and the Lord. Verse 8. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere. Pentecost is not so we can sit around and speak in tongues to each other while we're eating dinner. (laughs) But the reason is so we can move past the cross, past the tomb, past the throne, past the baptism, and get out of here. Walk out the door. Be. Be God's. That's what's important. We don't want to focus on Pentecost. Yes, we're celebrating it today. We're talking about it today. But that's not what's important. Why did God do all this? I'm going to say for you. Now listen carefully. For you. And that word you, as used almost all the time in the New Testament, means It's not you and you and you and you and you and you and you. You think God would do that? What a waste of energy. Because when he puts yous together, it's a multiplication, it's not an addition. He's talking about the church of Jesus Christ. Pentecost is for empowering the church. For you and me together to be in this with God proclaiming the gospel message to the universe. At the bottom of the notes, the last thing it says, the early church is the example that it does not take a building, money, political influence, or social status to advance God's kingdom. Christian ministry and soul winning is mainly the result of living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now believe me, we're praying for a building if it's from Holy Spirit. We're praying for money. Not because we want to be rich, because we want to do some stuff. It can only be done when you've got money. And Holy Spirit, when He sees fit, He's going to give us the money. Holy Spirit can give us political influence. Influence the laws of the nation and the lawgivers. We're supposed to do that as Christians. Social status. Holy Spirit has given Bridge Builders Community Church social status in Hyde Park. We have a reputation in this community. And it's good. Oh, you're from Bridge Builders. Oh, Jay got to pray at a Chamber of Commerce dinner the other night. It's quite an experience, wasn't it, Jay, for the first time? Yeah. Social status. Jay was there as a representative of Jesus Christ and Bridge Builders Church. He furthered the reputation of both that night. So if Holy Spirit's in it, we could have all of those things. But if Holy Spirit isn't in it, 
I don't even want it. Because it would take us far astray from the gospel message. Hello? You with me on that? Just bow your heads with me for a minute. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for Pentecost. I thank you that you set this up so long ago. This isn't any surprise to you. You had this in mind from the beginning. And Lord, we are so blessed that we're here towards the end. Thank you for including us in your kingdom. That we are ministers of your gospel message of Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that we please you this morning. You are pleased with us. We're going to translate that into a heart that's connected with your heart and connected with each other. And Father, we have people in here who need wholeness in their life. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever. And Lord, we're going to just follow along doing what you've told us to do, what you've shown us to do. As we connect our hearts with you and each other to do whatever we can to be agents of healing for your church. We love you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We just give you this next time. It's yours, Lord.